are and, and with Impact Basketball, we're really excited to partner with Coaching You Live and Coach uh, Brendan Fair and Kevin Eastman with our certification program. We've put together an online program for player development, uh, over 17 hours of video that we feel will really change the way players are developed and, and be very, very helpful to coaches, trainers, parents all over the world. So really excited to partner with Coaching You Live. Uh, we've, we've put a special deal together with Coaching You Live to provide a discount code of Coaching You Live entered in our promo code, all lowercase, Coaching You Live at our website, impactbball.com, impactbball.com. If you click on Get Certified, and you can go right to the page to get signed up, enter that Coaching You Live code, and you will receive the discount. But really excited. It's a great program. I think that it's going to change the way players are developed. That's been our mission since we started uh, training players 18 years ago, and it continues to be our mission. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir, and a special edition. We have about four or five a year where our podcasts are amazingly special, and usually they involve John Gordon, Doc Rivers, Kevin Eastman, and today it's John Gordon and Mike Smith uh, talking about their exciting new book. Uh, if you, with, you win in the locker room first, and uh, Mike and John, welcome to the program. Great to be with you. Yes, great to be with you, Brendan. Mike, uh, one of the things that I always uh, think about, uh, you know, with I first heard about John, ironically through you when you brought him into the Falcons, when you became the head coach there. What was the prompting to bring an outsider in to speak to your team when you became the new leader of the NFL team? Well, I had had the opportunity to um, meet John when I was in Jacksonville as an assistant, actually had uh, recommended through our trainer to the head coach, Jack Del Rio, that we have John come in and uh, speak with the team, and I think it's always important that you have an outside voice. Uh, you know, as a coach, you have to get up and talk in front of your team almost every day, and sometimes they'll turn you, you know, they'll turn you off and not hear your message all the time. And I thought it was very important that we would have someone of John's stature to be able to come in and talk to our team about building a culture and being a good teammate. You know, I'm flying back from Vegas. Uh, that summer when you brought John in. And I'm playing and I'm sitting next to Kevin Eastman, my partner with coaching you and also, uh, you know, executive and assistant coach to Doc Rivers with the Clippers. And I'm sitting there in the USA today. Kevin is an incredible reader and he points at this thing and says, read this. And it's an article, as you can remember it, in USA Today about John speaking to Mac Brown's team in Texas, having spoken to your team. And Kevin and I looked at this guy and said, who the hell is he? Who Who is John Gordon? You know? And and so, uh, you know, you basically he owes you a lot of money because you validate him <laughs> in a big, big way. <laughs> so I think, you know, that's one of those things you need to settle on right now. But also, <laughs> one of the things, Mike, that, as a coach, and I know you're the same way, I don't care if it's NBA, college, or NFL, uh, I'm very superstitious. If I have a really neat suit and I've lost three games, you're not going to see that baby the rest of the year, right? You know, I, I'm just that way. If, I, if we're winning games I, and I, my hair needs a haircut, we're not cutting that baby till we lose. And, and so the reason that one of the reasons besides this book is off the charts 
we're doing this is every time we have Gordon on when he writes a book, it's a bestseller. Okay, so I want you to know you are in great company. This book is going off the shelves. Okay, well, so I just wanted to give you that disclaimer <laughs> to start with. Uh, that's good to hear. The, oh, no, no. That's and absolutely how, how good did, to hear. I'm not like superstitious, you, but I'm not going to oh, take chance. I'm not, oh, no, I'm not a super, superstitious person, but I'm not going to take a chance. So let's hey, hey, let's when, when, when this when When this thing hits the bestseller list, you're going to say, Brendan, I'm superstitious now, okay? I, I will change you. I will change you. This will be the eighth C of the seven C's of winning in the locker room versus superstition. Somehow we'll get in there as one of the other ones. Now, listen, as you got to the the seven C's, which I absolutely love how you guys do that, Mike, talk about culture first. Well, you know, culture is what drives your 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 organization. I think it's very important that you – identify the culture that you want to have as the leader and it starts at the top and you identify it then let everyone know what it's going to be but it grows from the bottom up and it has to grow organically and that was one of the things that uh, was hard for me when I took over the Atlanta Falcons the coach in me wanted to work on the X's and O's and work on the per- the personnel and try to get the thing going in the right direction but uh, John and I had talked, and we had talked about, you know, Mike, it's important that it's just not the locker room. That locker room is really the entire building. Uh, you're talking about the support staff. You're talking about the marketing people. They're all part of the organization and the team, and you have to have them involved and have them understand what the culture is. It's just not the culture down in the locker room. It's throughout the entire building, and, uh, you know, the first the 100 days, they talk about the 100 days of your mm-hmm. first administration. Uh, John and I had a number of number of phone calls, and even in the pro- before that in the process of going through the interview process, uh, you know, John was a, a, a mentor for me and a good friend. Well, you know, he he is, you know, he is the smartest man in, in business. Forget speaking and writing. He has the best insight <laughs> of all time. Now, Mr. Gordon, um, you know, I know you are so huge on culture and all of your work relates that. How, as an outsider, having never coached football, basketball, how do you with all the – how do you see this? And now I know listening to you evolve over the last six, seven years speaking, how you have come to just really, really clamp down whether it's any team or organization on culture. Right, you get a sense of of what culture is all about and and what creates it and builds it. And and just watching Mike do it those first few years, you know, as you know, Brendan, it's easy to write about it. My job is easy. The hard job as a coach is is how do you create that culture on a Mm. daily basis to go into a setting like that where the head coach had just left the team, abandoned the team, their main (laughs) quarterback, the face of the franchise, was sent to federal prison, and Mike has to come in and, and turn around the culture. And he did it through relationships. He did it through meetings. He did it through walking around the building and getting to know everyone in the building, talking about the values, talking about what matters, talk about how they're going to do things, but also getting their buy-in. Mike let everyone know in that building that they were an important part of their culture, that he needed them to develop a winning team, that they were involved in the team's process. So so as you say often, Brendan, he, he – you know, had to have believe in to then get buy-in, right? So he had the right. belief. Then he got the buy-in from his team, 
And that's how culture is created. It's created through great leadership that drives the culture. You know, I've worked with other teams where the coach did not do that. The coach said, hey, here's a book, The Energy Bus, and hope you read it. And then nothing else <laughs> happened. But, but, you know, coach went in there and said, I'm going to drive the process. And you can give a team a bus, but unless you have a driver driving it, the bus doesn't move. And so coach, coach drove the bus. And now working with them, working with uh, other teams and also, you know, Southwest Airlines and all these Fortune 500 companies, you see, you see the same principles apply, that the leader drives that culture. And that's, and that's the thing that excited me. And when you guys wrote this book and you talked about the seven C's, I, I take everything that's written. It's an old thing Chuck Daly taught me uh, back when Good to Great first came out. And he said, Brendan, this is an incredible book on basketball coaching. And I read the thing. It had nothing to do with sports. And he said, and, and he said, he said no, no, you're reading it wrong. Read it for yourself. And, and I read this book for myself. And every single C plus the big C and the beyond the seven C's jumped out to me like you guys were talking to me as friends on a phone conversation. That's what grabbed me. And I said to John, this book's not good. It's freaking great, okay? And so kudos because when I first saw the content and I, without reading it, I said, hmm, this is going to be interesting. It's beyond interesting. And I think it applies to everyone in every business organization or team. So congratulations on that. Mike, when, when the part, you had never, uh, when, when you walk into a new team, and I think this is important for people that walk into new jobs, a new positions, sometimes some people have never been a leader. Uh, how do you establish your brand and as the face of that organization to get you that culture instituted? Well, I think it's important that you that you be yourself. Um, when you get an opportunity to be a leader, obviously you've been successful uh, in your other endeavors, so it's important that you don't change and that you're consistent, and that's something that uh, I think is very important. You have to be consistent in everything that you the, uh, that you do. One of my goals when I took the job there in Atlanta was that uh, I knew eventually uh, it probably wasn't going to end well. You know, they don't hire you to to retire mm -hmm. you, they hire you to fire you, as we all know in the coaching business. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, Thomas Dimitrov, I even told him that we joked, you know, we joked about it. Uh, but you want to be, you want to be the same person when you leave the building as you are when you came in. And I think it's very important. And if you stay consistent in your beliefs, and you stay consistent in how you interact with people, and you make sure that they understand, as John mentioned, that they're part of the the process and the success we're going to have, you're going to get everyone uh, in the organization pulling the rope in the same direction. And that's what makes successful organizations. Uh, they understand what we're all trying to accomplish and how we're going to get it done. I think that's an incredible point that it's not just your team. It's everyone in the building everyone in your organization. They all want to be part of it. I think that's a huge point, Mike. That's great. How about on the part about, <clears throat> excuse me, contagious? Uh, man, did that hit home with me. Uh, talk about that, Mike, when you guys wrote about that. I thought there were some gems in there. Yeah, well, as of course, there's there's different ways that you can be contagious. You can be positively mm -hmm. contagious and you can be <laughs> negatively contagious. And John did a great job about uh, talking about being a germ or vitamin C. It's one of my favorite parts of uh, parts of the book but you've got
got to have contagious people that uh, can bring others to the forefront. And uh, there's different ways. You know, it's not always the same type of person. You know, I was very fortunate to be around uh, many different types of, of, of players that had different uh, makeups. You know, Matt Ryan was completely different from Tony Gonzalez. You know, uh, Ray Lewis was completely different than, than Matt Ryan and Tony Gonzalez. But they were all very contagious people in a positive way. And you want to fill your team and fill your organization with people that have a positive attitude, but it also has to be a contagious attitude that makes the people around them better. And uh, as you know, as a coach and as a leader, that should be one of the main things that you should try to accomplish. Is do you want to make everyone around you better? You've got to identify <clears throat> their strengths and their weaknesses, and play to their strengths and help them get better in their weaker areas and that's uh you know that's something that uh, I believe all successful coaches do is uh they understand how to make the players and the people in the organization better in in the next chapter you talk about consistent and consistent now this is my big thing on coaching is you talked about the difference of the people, the personnel on your squad, on your team, just like in any organization. To explain to folks the difference between being consistent and coaching every player differently. Well, you have you have to be consistent, but each member of your organization and each member of your team uh, has to be treated differently. They they all are treated fairly. You have to treat them all yes. fairly, but they but you have to treat them differently because of of their makeup, even to the point as you know sometimes the practice load that you put on one player is different than you put on another mm-hmm. simply because of, uh, of of their phys- of their physical makeup. So many guys have different neurological efficiencies when we start talking about in coaching that you have to you know you have to make sure that you're doing everything. Uh, right for that individual person, and as you, as you know, coaching, especially at the at the highest level and even at the collegiate level, you basically are coaching in the NFL. You're coaching 53 independent contractors, and yes. in basketball, it's 12 independent contractors, and you've got to pull those guys together, and you have to be consistent from day one of the season to the last day of the season because if you're not consistent, you're going to lose your team. And we've all seen teams and, and that have become inconsistent because of the way that the leader is approaching it. Uh, whether you win, you lose, you have a two-game, you're on a two-game losing streak, you're on a four-game winning streak, you've got to be the same person every time that you step into that building. You know, John, talk about uh, when we talk about communicating, I think it's really uh, misunderstood. When you're talking about it with a team or a company, what do you mean by communicating? Well, you're making sure that everyone knows the key messages, the themes that you want to share. You're making sure you're communicating on an individual level. We wrote about what Doc said in the book, you know, Doc Rivers, where mm-hmm, I asked him sure. the most important thing a coach does. He said, I communicate to my team, not not just collectively, but one-on-one. I have to know where each person is in order to lead them where I need them to be. What we see in today's world, as you know, Brendan, is people are busier and stressed than ever, and so communicating is going out the window. We're not 
communicating in our relationships. We're not even communicating at home sometimes with our families. We have more ways to communicate, but we're not communicating in a meaningful way. So, so for me, it's all about communicating that develops relationships where you're taking the time, you know the relationship matters, you're communicating to, to get to know each other, to develop each other, to make each other better. And so communication allows everyone to be on the same page, knowing the vision, the mission, also communicating in a way where they feel valued, where they feel respected, understood. And a big part of like Mike's communication, which I discovered in writing this book with him, is, is listening. Like he would really, you know, listen very well to his team. And, and we often think communicating is just talking, but so much of it I learned is is listening. Uh, back to the contagious part, one of the things I love that Mike said is, you know, he never allowed himself to have a bad day. He let himself to have bad moments, but That's not a great day. Yeah, to me, that was the ultimate. Like, people love that. I've heard from so many people about this book. Like, man, I love the Never a Bad Day. Like, people love that. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that. that, that's, that's one. I've adopted that as uh, I always say, I, I, head coach can never have a bad day. Assistant mm-hmm. coaches can't have a bad day. Players have it, but we can't. That's great. I love that. I adopted it. I, I gave you credit for it, Mike, once, but now it's mine. Okay. <laughs> if we do that in coaching, we we all hey, we borrow and beg yeah. and steal, right? No you, no, you understood that. I mean, John at first didn't understand that, but you totally grasped that concept uh, right away. Hey, when you when you talk about communicating um, and leading, I find with our own children, uh, you know, John has to. You have. How about this when? If we tried to raise each of our children exactly the same, the results would not be good, would they? No, that's a good yeah, that's a great uh, example. I think about my two kids and how yeah. I have to communicate with them very differently. And uh each person responds differently yeah. to different kind of uh kind of stimuli, different kind of uh encouragement or tough love or love tough. You know, my my, my daughter for instance, yeah. you know, she she in some ways, she actually is, is tougher than my son in terms of criticism. My son, I have to praise him a little bit more and sometimes uh, you know, be more positive with him. My daughter, I can actually say, hey, come on, you need to do this a little more. And she'll go, all right, Dad, you got it. And she'll you know, work a little harder. So it's, it's funny how parenting is coaching. It's so interesting how when we're dealing with yep. coaching, it's parenting, same thing. The same skills that coaching, parenting, and leadership, I believe. Go ahead, Michael. I'm sorry. Yeah, and, and I can't. I, I can't disagree with John on that. You, you know, your your children and how you deal with them, and your your family members and your wife. You all you have to treat them all differently. And I think it's very important as a leader to understand what is the right message and how do you deliver that message to each one of your family members or each one of your uh, team members. And it's 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 tough because there's so many ways that we're communicating and and I still believe even though we have all these ways the best way to communicate is one-on-one unfortunately uh, that doesn't happen as as much in today's society as it had in the past but I think it's important for everyone to if they can to have a conversation with one another technology has done wonderful things for everybody in this world but I still think the best way to communicate your message is for it to be spoken. Yeah, Brent, Brendan, I want to add to that. What blows me away in organizations, yeah. in business and professional sports, college sports, we're talking millions and millions of dollars, in some cases billions of dollars, 
and yet we still see people not taking the time to sit down one-on-one with their people and actually talk and make sure they're on the same page. You hear one guy on a team say one thing. You hear the coach say another. You hear another team uh, mate say another, and you're like, how are these guys not on the same page? How are they not communicating? Do they not realize what's at stake and how big this organization is and how the media will be all over them? It blows me away. And then you go to businesses, and I see the same thing. So it's the work that I do with businesses now and leaders. I talk about these exact principles of communicating, and it's amazing. It's like they're hearing it sometimes for the first time, and yet in our heart we know it's important, but we've gotten so far away from from what really matters. We have so much clutter that we forget to think and see and communicate clearly. One of my sayings, Mike, about – is that I've never, you know, even though I've coached basketball for 42 years, I've never coached basketball. I've coached people. And I think that is the essence mm. of what we do in coaching any sport or leading any business. If it's not about people, then you are totally missing your greatest asset. Uh, when you talk about connecting to your people, uh, the thing that fascinates me about football and about a large corporation is you have coordinators, basically, which are super executive vice presidents that have a whole uh, uh, important part of your offensive team or your defensive or special teams, and you are the CEO of your entire business in football. Uh, and, and your level of communication between your assistant coaches, of which you probably had four, 12, 14, or 16 in the NFL, uh, has to be same as a senior level management person with all vice presidents. How how do you do that? Forget even getting to the players because they're going to be the ones that are going to really bring your message to them. How do you how do you coach that? Because I think it's the same in business, Mike. Oh, it is, and we we had have always wanted to be a collaborative staff and a collaborative team, and I think you have to have collaboration. You know, it starts, and John and I have talked about, you know, it starts with communication that leads to collaboration, where you're basically working together to do something good. And then when you when you have that collaboration, it forces you really to connect with one another. And it's important to have that connection where everyone feels like they're part of the process. And it goes back to how you set your culture up. Uh, some of the best game plans, and you've probably experienced it as well in your coaching, was there was so much communication, and you want them to, you want to almost have arguments because the when you have the disagreements, it forces you to communicate more. And you some of the best game plans we fought over before we left that staff room and went out and presented it to your team. But if you're a connected team. That staff has to understand that when we walk out that door of the staff room, it's our game plan. It's it's not an individual's game plan, and we have to go present it to your team every day, like this is going to work and this is how we're going to how we're going to do it. And uh, some of the some of the best game plans that I've ever been around, the, the staff meetings weren't always always fun, but we were communicating and we were forcing ourselves to connect to one another and really understand what we were trying to get accomplished. I wonder if, uh, you know, when you coach a team like the Ravens and, you know, you had really mature players that, you know, they had, you know, they were winners and they, they performed. Uh, 
what I found, uh, I worked with a lot of coaches that basically said, okay, guys, here's how, it, when we were given the game plan, we just told them, this is what you're doing. And you know what? Pretty sound plan. Didn't work at all. And then when I went with Chuck Daly, we went out there, and I said to the guys, here's what we're going to do. And Chuck said, hold on a second. And he said, Isaiah, Lampere, how do you want to defend that play? And all of a sudden, it didn't matter what the heck I thought. It was those guys were now saying, this is what we want to do. And Chuck said, that's good. That's what we're going to do. Because he knew that they were participating in the game plan. We had a better chance of it working. We could always change it during the game, of course. And But you know what? I found that to be a great lesson of all of a sudden, taking players that were mature, understood your system, and and wanted to win. You don't do that with every single team. But with a team like the Ravens and, and your first Falcon teams that were really good, I think that's an opportunity. What do you think about that in business, whether it be with a sales staff or whatever? Well, I think you have to take input in, into the into the your thought process from the players, from your sales force if it's in business. And yes, uh, you know, Ray Lewis, uh, Rod Woodson, Tony Saragusa, those were all guys that uh, were giving us input into how we were going to play defense. And of course, the staff that we had at that point in time had Rex, Rex Ryan, Jack Del Rio, Marvin Lewis, oh. my, myself, all on this on the defensive staff, so wow. it was a it was oh, a collaborative yeah. effort, and I can tell you those were some fun fun staff meetings <laughs> and it's fun and fun defensive meetings because uh, you're talking about Hall of Famers and Rod Woodson and 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 Tony Saragusa understands how the game is played, and you've got to have feedback from those guys because if they don't believe in it and they think there's a better way to do it. Uh, they're going to go out and do it that way. So, as you mentioned, you can change it afterwards, but you want them to feel like that they are participating and putting the game plan together. And I've been on some teams that you can't do that because we, we were very young. Uh, but if you have the mature people and you have experienced people, you need to use them as a resource to help your team because, as we said earlier, you'll get buy-in from everybody when everyone knows that they have an opportunity to contribute to putting us in a situation to win. Hey, Mike, you, you mentioned some of those incredible talents that you had uh, with the Ravens. When when you are coaching incredible talent, people don't realize. People say, well, that's easy. You have great players. But I've found the hardest the most challenging players to coach are great players because they demand more from coaches. Thoughts? Absolutely. Uh, some of the some of the greatest players have demanded so much more simply because they know that a coach is supposed to make them better, and that they're if they're at almost the highest level in their in their profession. They're going to demand more for you because they want to get better. They are driven uh, athletes, and they they know that you as a coach have to help them get better. If not, they'll turn you you know they'll, they'll turn you off and not listen to what you're saying. So it's very important. Uh, you know, I've I've sat in many many meetings and and watched the great ones and how they interact and how they take coaching because. They know that if they play better and they perform better, the team's going to perform better. 
and it's and ultimately they're so competitive that they want to be successful every time they go out on the field and the coaches mm-hmm. are the, the conduit that can help them play better and like they know if you don't know don't they absolutely they know <laughs> if you don't know and they will turn you off very quickly you're uh, done you, know, you are yes. done you're 100 you, hey john john talk about i love what you'd say about team beats talent when talent isn't a team i think that is such an incredible incredible statement talk about that well a team that is connected becomes a, a committed team so team beats talent when talent is in the team if you have a, a connected team that's a strong team and they have strong bombs and they're playing for each other they're going to outperform teams with more talent but who aren't connected so mm. it's not just about talent it's about how you come together as a team we see it all the time right there's a lot of teams with a lot of talent and they don't win they don't beat teams with lesser talent just because those teams are more connected so you could overcome a lot if you don't have talent now if you come against a team that is talented and connected and you just have connections, you're in trouble. So talent mm-hmm. is a part of the equation, but I think so often we see these teams with with a lot of talent and they just fall short, and it's a shame. So I love watching a team come together, love the synergy, love the bonds that develop, and you can really tell a team that is connected throughout the season. When you talk about caring, I think, you know, that is what, we used to call soft coaching, loving, caring. You know, that wasn't very manly. That wasn't the way we're supposed to do it. But, Mike, we, we've found out that uh, if you love your players, if you deeply care about them, it's a game changer. It's a difference maker, isn't it? Well, when you care more, you're going to have more success. Uh, and that, to me, that's why it's at the – the, the the seventh C it is probably the most important one in, in my mind. Uh, you know, John mm. talks about it in depth in the book, and it's a it's important for you to care not only about what they're doing out on the field or out on the court or out making the calls if you're in business. You got to care about them as a person, and when they know that you care, they will play so much harder. And they will perform so much better when they know that they have someone uh, that is coaching them that cares for them, not only on the field but off the field. And I think it's very important as a coach, uh, whether you're the position coach or you're the coordinator or the head coach, that you show your team that you care for them. And you you do that on a daily basis. And you have to care for them whether you're – they're performing at the level that they're capable of performing or if they're performing at a lower level. It's so important that they know that you always are caring about what is going on in their life. Uh, you know, the team, the dynamic of a team is so complicated and it changes every single day. And one thing that I think you have to be consistent on is that you have that caring trait. And John talks about it in depth in the book. Yeah, and I also think on a, from a, it can't be conditional, as you said, Mike. If it's about conditional on how you're performing, that will only create conditional love, and that will only create more pressure and more stress as that person is trying to perform at a higher level. So they're going to be more outcome-based rather than process-based as a result. And, Brendan, there's all these great uh, studies now on millennials, and I've been reading a lot of articles where these coaches of NBA teams and NFL teams are now bringing these millennial experts to learn about their players because they have all these 20-somethings on their teams. 
So they're adapting their coaching styles and their philosophies and, and their approach to these millennials because they know that they have to get the best out of these millennials. And one of the keys to these millennials is they want to know that you care about them. Millennials are driving the process because they want to have a relationship with their coach. People think in professional sports that's not true. Every coach I've asked, yes, my team wants to have a relationship with me. Now, you get the, the old guard. They say, ah, they're NBA players. They don't want to know anything. They just want to go out exactly. and do their thing. They say that as an excuse so they don't have to take the time to invest in the relationship. But the younger coaches that I'm talking to, the ones that come from the college ranks, the ones that, that know people, as you know, Brennan, the same guys, they're all saying, hey, I've got to work harder to show these guys I've got to care. I've got to invest more into the relationship. I've got to be there to show this person that I'm here for them to invest in their growth. And when I am, that person will be a loyal part of this team and this organization. You know, when that, I think empathy um, almost has to be one of your talents uh, so that, like, when that player struggles, whether in your game, Mike, he misses a, you know, like last night I'm watching Pittsburgh, guy misses field goals. That when he comes over, you don't like scream, yell, cuss at him. It's almost like you put your arm, tap him on the head, put your arm around him, and you know, you know, let him know that because you know how play strippers are anyway for crying out loud, and you know, no one on the team even wants him there, you know, and 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 you know, kind of show a little love to that guy. And I think, uh, you know, and I think I look back at uh, the coach Mike Rice at Rutgers years ago when his players weren't performing in practice the way he wanted. He's throwing balls at him. He's kicking them. He's calling them horrific names. That's not the way to increase performance, is it? No, I don't believe that. The negativity does not increase your performance. I think it's been proven over and over that taking a positive approach with your team will have better results than being negative. And I think, as John said, I think younger the younger coaches are really understanding uh, how to interact with with the players, and it's even it's even getting to the you know to the high school level. Uh, some of the some of the high school coaches that I've talked to about making sure that they understand what's going on with with their with their team, and I think it's important as a coach that you understand that these. Players are just not a number or a name on the back of a jersey. These are guys that are people, and they have tough things going on in their life outside of the of the workplace. And you've got to make sure that you try to stay in touch with in touch with them, so that you can be there to support them because they want support. They want you to coach them. They want you to make them better, but they also want your support. And I think it's very very important. Well said. John, I, I've adopted the love tough, and I think it's so fitting in both sports and business coaching. Uh, how did you come up with that concept? Well, I just saw how how people respond to, to being cared about and love. I've always been a believer in, in tough love, 
but I realized that love must come first. So yeah. I switched it around. I said, you know what? If 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 the guy knows you, you'll love him. If the, the teammate or the player knows you, you'll love him and you care about him. They will allow you to push them. And so love must come first. And it's through that love you earn the right. You earn the right as a coach. You earn the right as a teammate to make that team made better, to make that person better. I was with Nebraska, and I was with uh, some of the women athletes there. We were talking about how do you constructively criticize a teammate in a, in a positive way. And we had this great roundtable discussion, and we came up with the fact that you cannot criticize a teammate if you do not have a relationship with them. You first have to earn the right to criticize. Then if, when you criticize, you have to do it in a positive way and say, hey, I noticed this about your game. I noticed you're doing this. You know, I struggled with that as well, or I struggled with something else. Here's what I did to improve. Hey, do you want to work on that together? And and once you do that, now you're involved in the process. You actually show you care as a teammate, same thing as a coach. And through that process, that love, you can now be tough and challenge each other and push each other to improve. Boy, that, that's why I'm putting out on Twitter, brother. That's a good one. Uh, yeah. You know, one of the things that I think that we, uh, you know, the big buzzword, Mike, in coaching, uh, especially to get a job, is uh, can you develop talent? Can you, you know, I mean, in every sport, uh, but can you develop players? Just like it, frankly, I, I, I laugh at uh, people that are leading companies, and I say to them, well, how does that person develop? Your people, how does he coach him? And you say, well, he's, that's not his job. He's the, you know, president. I said, no, no, when you're in leadership, your role is to develop talent. And uh, a person, a high-level CEO told me recently, he says, you can't develop talent unless you have a relationship with your people. And, I, and it's just exactly what John just said, that even from that end, the development can happen unless we have a relationship. So that, I think, is a real takeaway in this in this book, where the caring part was just huge for me, again, reinforcement-wise. <clears throat> Absolutely. And I think that's why uh, it's, the, it's the seventh C of the seven. And, uh, you know, I think everyone can have their favorite and, and what they feel like. Yeah. They, take, they can take something away from it. But when you care more, Great things happen, and uh, you know that's a conversation that John and I have had many times. And you have to care about your people if you're going to develop them. And I believe, just like you said, Brendan, uh, you have to develop whether you're in business or whether you're in sports. That's your job as as a coach. And if you don't have that caring attitude, you're not going to pull those people up to the level that they can possibly best be. What I loved about the book was basically it was a, a blueprint. It was a coaching strategic plan on how to run a great team business organization and, frankly, a family. Uh, and that, for me, and it's all seven of the C's. Uh, you know, you can't, you know, it's almost like one of those stools that if you leave one of the legs off, it's going to fall over. And that's why I felt about this. And and why not adopt and implement all seven of these? I thought it was brilliantly done. Mike, what did you learn from writing this book? Well, it was a great experience for me, uh, and John was a great mentor in terms of putting this together uh, and how we how we went about it. But I learned a lot of things. Uh, I learned how to 
communicate better uh, in in doing this book because it wasn't just my thoughts. It was it was working working with John and his expertise, and uh, he was able to got you know help help me and guide me through through this process. Uh, and I also learned that uh, there's there's really more than seven C's, but we couldn't have mm-hmm. 20 C's. <laughs> we, I, I've spoke with some people, Brendan, and, and they'll say, well, what about these seven C's? Yeah. What are they? I say, well, you give me one. I say, well, that one made the top ten. It didn't make the top seven. Yeah. Uh, hence, uh, the beyond, hence the beyond the seven C's, see, which I love. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. John, uh, you know, you, you're, you have this incredible gift of being able to take things that people are aware of, uh, know they should do, uh, know it's a problem in their own life, but you can make it come forward in the most easy-to-understand way and then get people to act. I feel like after I read any of your things, it's like, wow, what a great idea. Yeah, and and they now want to adopt it. How does that happen, brother? Well, I like when people say, you know, it, it, it's. I knew it. It's not rocket science, but you know, but but I'm I'm just doing it. I had someone the other day say, "Wow, like you're such a genius the way you take these complex and you make it so simple." I said, "No, I'm not a genius. That's really just how I think. I'm that simple. I have a I have a simple mind. So when I look at things, I just think of the simplest way to to share it. So it's not genius. It's just moving the clutter. See, I think that's the key." remove the clutter, make things so simple and clear that we can actually act upon it. Because if it's complex and you can't act, then what good is it? I don't care how brilliant it is. I think sometimes we we think it has to be complex to work. And really, the best ideas are the simplest. When you look at a defense, right, a simple defense with that, that's with strong personnel, mm-hmm. that's a sound defense. Sometimes we'll 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 will often actually beat a beat a offense that's trying to scheme all the time. So you know we saw that with the Seahawks the last couple of years, right? So yes. So I think to me it's it's simplicity. So in my writing, I just I really just state what I believe is simple. What we need to do, break through the clutter and. Um, how it happens, I don't know. I guess that's just a, that's a God thing. I only can give credit to God on that and how it happens, but it's just something that I, I do. I think uh, t- our friend Tony Robbins says uh, complexity is the enemy of execution, right? Mm, that's and, uh, you know, and, and I think uh, what you guys have done here is uh, really give us, so, so to speak, in coaching terms, a game plan for incredible success in any endeavor you're going to do. And uh, all I can say is, well, well done, brothers. <laughs> well done. Well, thank you very much. appreciate that. And, Thanks, Brendan. And that's, John, that's kind of you, John, John, you, this is a tell, – tell, you know, we're going to have 100,000 people, Mike, uh, that will listen to this podcast uh, that will be coaches, men, women, all sports, uh, leaders of business, uh I've even now gotten a lot of religious folks through John's following uh, that will listen to us. Uh, <laughs> I'm breaking in the new uh, new uh, regime here to, to listen. And so they are amazed by the things they pick up here. Now, for those that want to get um, the book, what's the best ways to get John to get the book? Sure. You can go to winintheLockroom.com. That's winintheLockroom.com is where the book's website is, but it's available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and all all bookstores. Yeah. 
we have an action plan that's coming with uh, the book as well. There's an action plan in the book, but we actually just created a, a more in-depth action plan to help leaders, to help business people, to help coaches actually put these C's into action with their teams, and that will be available real soon as well. Yeah, well, I think that's what you guys uh, always do, John, in all of your books is that you uh, deliver not just a great content, but then you deliver action plans, resources, and tools so that we who want to find an excuse not to can implement it properly. So uh, well done. Also talk about your incredible newsletter that I can't survive any Monday without. Tell them how sure. you can get that. Book. They just go to johngordon.com, J-O-N, gordon.com. And, yeah, I know that uh, you, know, you have an incredible community of coaches and leaders that listen to this, Brendan, and uh, we have a, a lot of coaches that, that you know subscribe to the newsletter and use it with their team. So J-O-N, gordon.com, and it's a free weekly positive tip that comes out every week on, on things I've learned. I've written about Mike in the past and things I learned from Mike yep. and have learned so much from, from his him as a leader. So, you know, doing this book was just such a great educational opportunity and something that, you know, as a writer, you learn so much, more than if you wrote it yourself because you're writing with someone else. I remember Ken Blanchard told me that, you know, he writes books with so many people. He's written over 50 books with different people. And his mom said, hey, Ken, why don't you write your own book? And he said, mom, <laughs> he said, mom what, he goes, well, if I write by myself, I learn just what I know. But if I write with someone else, I learn what, what they know. And I never realized that until I wrote, you know, one word with Jimmy and Dan, and then I just wrote this with with Coach Smith. So it's been uh, an incredible opportunity. I'm just grateful to have uh, helped work with him on this and, and put it together with him and together and, and now sharing these principles. It's, it's awesome. Well, it, it, it is truly something. And also follow John on Twitter, uh, at John at, at John Gordon 11 correct? Yeah, J-O-N Gordon 11 and... And uh, Mike might even be coming on Twitter. Well, soon, let's get Mike on Twitter. <laughs> Come on, that's coming, guys. All right. Yeah. No, no, Mike, you, you can say anything you want about any coach. You can talk about Rex Ryan and all that. We do it. That, that's so much fun when you're out. Now, when you go back in, then all of a sudden it'll be pretty mundane, vanilla stuff. But while you're out, man, jump on board. You know, have some fun with it, guys. You made my day. Thank you so much, and. Uh, Please, folks, run out and get this book, You Win in the Locker Room First, by Mike Smith and John Gordon. It's special, and you will learn from it. Guys, thanks again. All right. Take care, Brennan. Thanks. Take care, Brennan. Thank you very much. Enjoy.